Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? This is T. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Become a member. It's uh, good fun for everybody. You get access to a whole bunch of back episodes, access to the Discord voice and chat server. Um, good stuff. Uh, we have with us as a guest host, uh, Matume Gent. Hey, hey, what's going on? And just tell the people, in case this is the first episode, who you are, what you're up to. Um, I'm Matume Gant. I am a uh, filmmaker, performer. Um, you can find me at Twitter at SirCoreGant. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back on Champagne Sharks. Nice. And we have a special guest with us, Mr. Michael R. Jackson. Hey, y'all. What's up? Now, uh, please tell the people uh, who you are. Um, I'm a book writer, playwright, uh, composer, and lyricist. I work primarily in musical theater, and I wrote a, a musical called A Strange Loop that's now playing at Playwrights Horizons uh, in association with Page 73 in Manhattan. Did it just get extended? Uh, we're in our extension right now. Oh, nice. How much longer is... Uh, we run until July 28th. Okay, cool. We were supposed cool. to close on July 7th, and then they extended it for three more weeks. Um, are the tickets still available? Um, we're kind of sold out, but like if you go to like the cancellation line or if you go to the website, you can sign up to Usher for the show and you can see it for free. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I want to make sure this is out before uh, the run is done so people can uh, go see it. Like, is there a chance it gets extended again or comes back or is... Um, I know very little about it. It probably won't be extended at Playwrights Horizons, but it will likely have some second life in the future. Oh, cool. Um, Although I don't know when that will be. And I can't, I'm not making any news with that, but there will likely be some second iteration of it somewhere. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed it. That's why I want to make sure uh, we had you on sooner rather than later. And Mm -hmm. I want people to get a chance to see it. I was telling um, Matume that um, I always get nervous when someone who seems nice that I like invites me to something because i'm like oh my god like what if it fucking sucks and i don't want to do a disservice and like you know lie and you know i was gonna be like i was saying like you know i would have to be real and uh you know try to be respectful but well, that's real. why i sought you out yeah, okay. I, appreciate, I appreciate your realness yeah 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 because i'm like you know i'm gonna keep it real in a respectful way you know yeah. and i will say uh not just saying this because you're here it was very uh enjoyable it was very ambitious it was very meta and i wanted to know did you start out saying i want to do a really meta play or did it evolve into that was it more of a straight up uh memoir type of thing that kind of became more meta as you were working on it or did you set out well i guess i should preface that by sort of describing what the piece is which is that um a strange loop is a musical about a black gay musical theater writer who works as an usher to broadway show who's writing a musical about a black gay musical theater writer who works as an usher to broadway show who's writing a musical about a black gay musical theater writer who works as an usher to broadway show and sort of cycling through his own self-hatred and his own perception of himself and it's a piece that i started writing just as a monologue when i was an undergrad initially um, in 2001. And then uh, after I graduated from undergrad, I went to grad school for musical theater writing. And over the course of the year, I learned how to write lyrics. And then I started writing my own music just for myself. And like just over time, the piece began to sort of mutate and sort of develop into the musical, even though that's not what I had intended for it to be initially in the beginning. So so you learned about music uh, after you were already a playwright? Well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I took piano lessons okay. and I sang in choirs and I learned how to read music. And I was very musically inclined as a Got kid. It. And um, I used to try to write my own songs 
when I was growing up, but I didn't know how to write lyrics at that time. So then cut to when I went to grad school and I like got a degree in lyric writing and learned how to write a song, like song form. The musical ideas that I'd had since I was in like middle school had somewhere to go. So I started trying to write my own music. But I, I don't have a composition background. I have a degree in playwriting. Okay. Yeah, because I was very impressed with the music because it's not easy to uh, musical writing i think is harder because you have to move a story along yeah totally as as well as uh make the song good enough to stand on its own i mean the lyrics right. good enough to stand yeah. on its own yeah that people can enjoy it without the story and i felt like it was very um good at that i was very i had no idea it was a musical when i went in there so i was oh, totally oh wow okay I, I didn't know that well i like to uh, watch things without knowing what they're about at all oh that's cool so i read like nothing about yeah. it i don't know what the genre is going yeah. to be i just said I'm invited. I'm just going to come in like as a blank slate yeah. and see. So then I started singing. I was like, okay, this is good. And then I remember I thought to myself, okay, so he's going for something that's going to be a little meta. I hope it doesn't get self-indulgent. And then that lyric just popped up right in the <laughs> like first five minutes. Where you said, <laughs> yeah, the character's saying, I hope this is not self-indulgent. I'm like, okay, so he's... Well, that's, you know, it's interesting because like, I'll preface also, uh, Michael and I met each other last summer um, at, a, at a retreat called La La Fest with two of two friends of ours. And um, I, di- I didn't know Michael previously. And, and uh, Chantal, our friend, had kept talking about Michael. And I had a similar thing, you know, the, this person that my friend keeps talking about, I, I, I hope I think they're, you know, interesting or cool. <laughs> and, da, 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 da. and when I met Michael and I was I, immediately I, I felt we hit it off. I, yeah, did, yeah. I, I just things that we yeah. views, politics, things really, really aligned. And then when I saw he did a, a presentation of, of his songs, I was really taking it how self-aware it was, not yeah. not self not self-conscious or overly, you know. Um, self-indulgent right and I was really struck by that because like sometimes when I see a lot of some 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 musical stuff I find it as you sent me something the day that I felt was exactly oh, that horrible. but but like when I watch Michael's work is a lot is a lot of self-reflection and, and a lot of um self-criticism Mm-hmm. that I really appreciate it and, and self-critique and looking at what you're doing and how you're kind of existing within the the, the but, framework of the world. And I really appreciated it. But you know what I like about the self-criticism was I feel like there's this kind of memoir. I haven't seen that many of it in plays because I haven't seen that many plays, but it's very popular in um, these kind of no laugh track comedies now. And comic books have these memoirs a lot too where it's about how miserable or how much humiliation right the person can get but it's almost like it's a little over the top like mm-hmm. it's just trying to be as cringy as possible but it was like you were able to show yourself in uh at times like a less than flattering light but not in a way that seemed to be trying to shock or be over the top yeah 100 uh, how bad things were getting it, it felt very um honest and they took a while to get there like yeah i mean so i think let me respond to what you had asked in the beginning which is that like i didn't i wouldn't say that i set out to write something meta per se but like i wanted to i i felt like i even though i make theater and i'm i'm also consume it and so like because i've consumed it i see a lot of it and i'm like often very disappointed by what i see and and part of that is like never seeing narratives about experiences that i feel i can relate to or understand and explicitly never really seeing like you know black male 
queer narratives and storylines and characters that I like understand. And so I just felt like I wanted to, I was like, well, you know what, why don't I just create something sort of from my perspective? But at the same time, I was like, I don't want it to be, I did a one man show version of a strange loop many, many, many years ago. Yeah. And it wasn't even called a strange loop at that time. And I realized in that moment, I don't want it to be that. Like, I don't want to be like on stage, like being like I'm Hannah Gadsby or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wanted yeah, yeah. it to have like a theatrical, like I wanted it to be something that was made that had an integrity to it as a piece of fiction, whether or not there was something in it that was drawn from my own experience. You know, as you say that, it helped clarify to me what I liked about it versus those things that I didn't like and other things. And I will say what I liked about it, right, is those other things were really just about that person. Uh, Louis C.K. to a degree used to do that too on his sitcom. Like, you know, he's always getting embarrassed or yeah. humiliated, but it almost seems almost like masochistic in a way, right? But it's very navel-gazing, whereas your play was about you, but... Well, Usher... Oh, sorry, the it's, about, it's, about it's not me. I was not up there. Yeah, yeah you're not up there. Of course, I keep of having course. to like correct people on that. <laughs> oh, Listen. really? Yeah, because it's. I know it's it's difficult mm. to make the distinction. Yeah, yeah. Because yes, I absolutely drew from personal experience to yeah. write this piece, but I also made things up. You know, it's funny you say that because that's yeah. gonna be one of my later questions. So I'm glad you brought that up. I was gonna ask how much of you is in uh, Usher. Actually, I mean, I keep talking about it because I, I was gonna ask. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like. I could go through the script and tell you like this moment, like, for example, like my agent, well, we'll, I don't know if you're going to get into Tyler Perry or not, but like, but like my agent did come to me and ask me once, did I want to write, submit for Tyler Perry's sitcom? I did, but in the play, it's writing the the gospel gospel play. play, You know what I mean? But I, I put that in there in that way because I wanted to deal specifically with that genre. Yeah. But it like, but like the, but like it didn't not, you know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. that's a yeah. different thing. So like, you know, so like, yeah, so that, I, that happens. But then like the, the moment, the inward daddy moment. Yeah. That happened, but it didn't happen exactly like that. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and, and regardless of whatever what actually happened, it was to me the whole piece is about the perception of events. And like, if you hate yourself, which a lot of this piece is about self hatred, like when, if you hate yourself, you're gonna you see the world through like very different colored glasses than other people, you know. And it isn't until you sort of take those glasses off that like you can see things for what they are. And so like that was for me a lot of what the piece is. So like it does. So like I just all I sort of describe it as that is that it's it's not autobiographical. It's just emotionally true. Yeah, got it. Because that's just like I was trying to write what it felt like to be a young 25, 20, You know, because I started writing the monologue. I started writing. I started writing when I was like twenty one. And so like, and I was kept trying to capture in real time what it felt like to be in that skin. And like I couldn't really write, capture that perfectly until I had distance from it. So that's why it took me so long to really figure out the structure and I think, of the yeah, piece and, and like age, what the character was going through. You know, I think age helps because it gives you a kind of perspective. And that's something I told you after, where I felt like the years of experience. Like I think you kind of need some kind of struggle to kind of uh, get a certain type of story across. And I feel like if twenty five you twenty five year year old you um had gotten it on the stage at that time it's not to say it wouldn't be good but it would 
a little bit in trash. Like I can I tell really? you for I mean, fact. Because yeah. I know what the draft was <laughs> oh, when yeah. I was 25. Yeah. And I know where I was when I was 25. It would have been trash. Yeah. yeah. That wisdom it is been ambitious. Needed, it would have been yeah. like ambitious and it would have been, you know, there's a lot of great stuff here, but it was trash. I had all the drafts. Oh, so you, I have, you still have all, them. I keep everything. Oh, so it's like yearbook photos. You look at it and you're like, oh, wow. Sometimes I go back and look, look at old drafts. I have everything. <laughs> Do you ever I look? have the, the initial monologue that I wrote when I was 21 years old. Do you ever look and say, oh, wow, website. that's actually better than I remember? Is there ever anything? Well, no, I, the thing about it is like, it's, it's, it's not that it, it's like, there's diamonds in the rough. Like I could see what I was going for, what I was trying to get at, you know, like, cause also some of the cast members had been in old versions of this. Yeah. So they, and they'll remember stuff that oh, I forgot, I you know? know? Okay. And like, and it's just, you know, like I'll see, like if I go back to that initial monologue, like that initial monologue was self-indulgent and it was, you know, over the top and whining and all those things, but it also had a beating heart to it. And that is still in the piece. Like was that like I managed to keep the sort of the 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 impulse and carry that with me over the years. It's interesting because like as a, I'm, a, I'm a writer myself, you know, a dramatic writer and filmmaker. And I got to say, that's very hard. Like, I, I respect that because like to go over a piece from what? It's like 13, 14 years. Well, 18, 18 years. Like to me, like if it doesn't after a couple of years, I don't think it's good. I mm-hmm. throw it away, no. you know, and I, I really respect that because like that's that's tough to have that level of criticism and still belief in it you know as a piece you know because usually after a while you realize oh it doesn't work it's never gonna work it's trash i'm throwing it away but the fact that you stuck with it as a kind of part of you yeah i mean i think it was because it was so personal and like i also just assumed it would never be it would never be produced there was no risk for me to keep working on it because it was just for me but in a way that's almost more impressive to think that it might not be produced but you still have to go back to it and uh rework it like that's i find that very um very interesting yeah so, so, so if it, you didn't think it was gonna be produced were you doing it because you just felt like it um had something personal you had to work out in it yeah because like for me like Theater, life and theater are like they're intertwined because I think that theater is a reflection of life and like life is like a lot of the struggles of life like I deal with by writing and I've always done that since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. So like it just made sense that like if there was something I was working through, I would write it down and try to make something out of it. And then the thing I'm trying to make out of it becomes something that helps me in life. And like, and so then like once I figured out that the actual structure of the piece was a character that was doing that, it just kept perpetuating itself. And so that, and that was the hook that sort of kept me interested in like going back to it, especially once I would get little opportunities to work on it, you know, do a workshop here or do, you know, a concert there or whatever, you know, like I I felt like I had something because people, especially when I started writing music, because I didn't go to school to write music. But once I presented one of the songs that's in the show was the first song I had ever written. And I was encouraged to keep writing my own music, even though for my thesis project, I was going to be paired with the composer. And people just kept encouraging me to write my own music. And like that music just ended up being like a very personal expression. And like that would just help me write more music that like helped build the piece. And so I just, it, it was almost like, it just was a self, it was like a self-perpetuating sort of show in that way that like, I just kept producing more material that was like interesting enough to like, Hey, why don't we try to put this in this context or, or, you know, connect it this way through this sort of 
you know, plot material or character material or like all that stuff. And um, so I just it was it was kind of like I couldn't help but work on it over. I, I didn't work on it consistently over yeah. 18 years, but like there was just always something that sort of kept me coming back to it. One thing that was weird to me about it was how Matumi said about the self-awareness of it, but it was kind of very structurally self-aware. And what was interesting about that, what I mean, what I mean by that is that experience I had in the beginning where I said, oh, I hope it's not self-indulgent. And then you kind of call attention to it by saying, uh, oh, how are you going to do this? It's going to be self-indulgent. There were like several moments I had because I was like, I want to find something negative to talk about. So it just doesn't look like I have them on. <laughs> and suddenly I have nothing negative uh, to say. So it's like, critique them now. Yeah, so I'm like, you I'm know, afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta try to find something, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember even at the end, there was like uh, where he's confronting his mother and having like the song. I was like, okay, you know, I think I have finally have a critique. I think it might be a little bit too long. And then the mother actor breaks character and says, "Don't you think it's going too long? How are you gonna How are you gonna end this?" And I was like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's what I mean. It's very interesting, like st- like structural self awareness yeah, in the piece. That's what I mean. Like the show ha- is 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 constantly reflecting on itself in the moment, and it's it, and that's a tough thing to do because I feel like also so you, you you see shows sometimes like this or movies that are like breaking the fourth wall, and it's it's gimmick. But this this felt like process. Like you know, Michael's show feels like process, and like, like there's an actual process happening. You know, and, and like what I was saying before about how um, a lot of those self indulgent things that I don't like is there really just so much about the person whereas I mean I know you said this is not actually you but it's kind of emotionally um, very much you but what I liked about it was that it wasn't just about the person that was a stand-in for you. It was about situations. Like, you know, like I I like to tell people I like to look for three things in anything dramatic or even comedic. Just just anything that's about something. Like that it should be like about something. If it if it's born from that something, that's even better, you know, that the person has some kind of experience with it. And then the third thing is it should have something insightful to say about that something. And I feel like a lot of things don't have that third thing. Like it's about something. The person has some kind of personal experience with it and they want to retell it in some kind of excruciating emotional detail. But it's just like um, masturbatory. There's no actual larger insights, you know, or uh, things that it's um, about. And I mean, you talk about some things that I have not seen uh, really talked about so frankly in a lot of uh, black queer stuff. Like, it made me wonder if you even had some uh, pushback from like other black queer people for almost airing dirty laundry. Like, for example, the whole inner white girl thing, that's something I feel like I have not really heard discussed. It's funny. I saw someone actually, I don't know if you saw this, on someone on Twitter criticized you for that. Do you, do you know? I think I heard tell of this, but I didn't see it. I'm going to, I wish I would have did it before. And he's a, he's a black queer. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what he, what he, what he does. I don't know if he's like a, a pundit or just a Twitter personality, but it's funny. I almost wanted to reply to him and I probably should. I was like, he, he, po- I guess you did the, the, it was for Broadway world or something. For like playbill.com. Playbill.com. And uh, he, he kind of took it out of the contest and he said something like he made a comment about musical theater and that, Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I said, well, I think you should see it in the the, yeah. the, the, the the greater context. Right. But I was curious if you had seen that or any other types so, of. Somebody yeah. had told me about it, but they didn't, they didn't know where it had been posted. Yeah. So, um, I, ha- so it's interesting. Like 
the most of the responses from black queer folks, particularly black gay men, has been, but not only, like some black lesbians come to me, some trans folks, but like particularly black gay men have been like, you know, I feel really seen. I never felt this explicitly seen on stage, like the whole sort of totality of an experience. And they felt very grateful for that or like scared. They were like, I felt grateful. I felt scared. I felt happy. I felt, you know, embarrassed. Like they they were like, but ultimately it was a very positive experience for for them. And then there was, there was, there was one person who had a really intense response one night when we had a talk back where I think he ultimately really responded to the piece, but the thing that freaked him out was that that particular performance, it was like the first performance that happened where it was like just overwhelmingly a white audience. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he felt unsafe Mm. experiencing the show in that context. And he sort of took his aggression out on me in some ways Mm -hmm. for for that happening and also sort of in in doing that suggested that like he's it was weird because like we were all standing there in this for this talk back and he was like there's all these white people here and i was like there's also like five other black people standing here that you, yeah that you like you have erased yeah and i said and i said all of y'all the five of you who are here at least at this talk back was more than that at the show but like y'all stand on the shoulders of all the black people who've been coming to the show every single night from the very beginning and so it and but and so he felt like he also felt like this show isn't funny. I saw people laughing. This is a tragedy. You can't laugh at this. This is like, and I was just like, wait, what? And I was like, I said, well, I would have hated for you to have been here on black, the, the specific black theater night. There was a, a sponsored evening that they did where like there were, uh, where it was like a very black audience came and it was, and it was like lit. It was great. And like, and people were like, it, the show has humor in it. It's funny. Like it, it doesn't, it's not precious and earnest, but like he seemed to want, if it's going to be something black like that, it has to have like a, a respectability yeah, to yeah, it, totally. I guess. Totally. That's what it seemed to me. Like we didn't get to talk about it for very long, but he like was just angry and he was like, you have a white director and I'm not just all the stuff. And I was just like, now I had to like go slow your roll. And like, I had to talk about that because that's a whole other thing with like identity politics that's like gone very mad in, in the world, but in theater in particular. And the, but other than that, like the responses have been like from black, other black queer folks have been to, who, at least to my face, I don't know what people are saying deep in their DMs, but like has been that they felt exposed, but like grateful to be able to mm-hmm. see themselves in a co- sort of complex picture because like that just doesn't happen very often. It was interesting because I um I saw the show twice and I saw it, I think the the, the, the one of the first weekends that yeah, it was- saw it, the early previews. Early previews. And I was curious because one thing I know about Michael also personally is Michael's not afraid to hold his tongue yeah. about anything, especially when it comes to like pop culture things. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's he's like us, all three of us, you know, but as me and him as practicing artists, right. we're, we're constantly advised y- yeah, to yeah. hold, to hold case, our tongues. In your guys' case is worse because you have to work with these people. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to yeah, exactly. But and in in your in your in the piece, I, you take some shots, and not, and, not, and not even just like the shots of like Tyler Perry, but also like the ideas of black queer love and mm-hmm. being with white and being with white men and things like that. And I'm like, well, this is interesting because like there's people that I know who have come seen your show who are very famous who 
do some of the practices that you heavily criticize in right. the show. And I was and it's when I first when I first saw it that that like weekend I was like but, I wondered how they would react. But but it's pretty interesting. I feel like they didn't even feel like shots. I just felt like it was just very honest. Like I don't know like, I agree with you, but but people I thought I wonder if they would take it as shots. So I like think. yeah, yeah. well that's it's been fascinating because like specifically there was a moment where a character named Todrick Yes, is yes. named, and some nights when that ha- that moment happens, you'll hear. You always know how many black folks in the audience. Uh-huh. Some will go like, "Oh," <laughs> you know, like they'll do something like that, like, Ooh, yeah, like what, or whatever. And then like, and then there's like another, and then there's like the Tyler Perry stuff, and then there's like a monologue that Usher delivers toward the end of the show about sort of interracial relationships. Yeah, and and like consistently that we get like it like gets applause in the middle of the show, which I didn't anticipate that happening when I wrote that monologue. Yeah, I just felt that it was actually that monologue got very heavily rewritten right before we went into rehearsals because I just felt like I needed to be very clear in the show because of the the scenes that we see with Usher that happen with white men that like those moments are actually happening not because he actually wants to be with white men but because he has felt sort of excluded from like black desire mm-hmm. and that like he's actually settling for much less than what he's worth yeah and so i just and i felt like that was something that i just needed to say because so often these conversations about black same sex relationships that are so often overwhelmingly interracial like it just gets all put under the, the rubric of love is love and i'm like no 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 you're making a choice <laughs> and there and there's, and there's a socio-political reason for why that choice is happening i'm not saying that you can't make that choice right but that like don't just act like oh i just happened to fall it's into just this. a feeling it's just a feeling right. like no like i had a friend an old co-worker and i tell me straight up and i respect him so much for this mm-hmm. he was like I was from, I'm a black from a certain class. I went to Brown. I wasn't going to be with any old other black man. Like, but, but, and it was like that. And I was like, you, but, you know what? Say that. You can you, say that. that. Do your thing. At least you don't, 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 don't say, oh, I just, I don't see, I don't see color. And, and that's one of my problems with a lot of uh, black queer things, but also a lot of black things t- in general. And I think you use the word respectability. I think there's something to that where you talk about it. I wrote it, I wrote it down, but oh yeah, you were saying the current, holy trinity of wokeness and it was slavery police violence intersectionality and it's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. interestingly people have not talked to me about that yeah i, I thought I'm i shocked when, I, I, on intersectionality yeah, people, shocked. there a few people have said some stuff to me but i've expected more people to talk about that line than anything and they didn't and i was like okay well but i feel like everything has this like trinity like like that's your that's your trinity for general black stuff but i, I feel like mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the what, what that trinity would be for like black queer stuff but what i do notice about a lot of black queer stuff is that there's this kind of thing where okay and i can i think i can recognize it because i see it in general black stuff where it's like we have a lot of negative imagery to counter program against so we have to make sure everything you know makes us look according to the rules that we have about how we want to be uh, looked at and i'll give you an example this is a show i haven't seen yet but i plan to see it but um there's a show pose right yeah 
Now, I watched Paris is Burning, and I liked Paris is Burning, but one of the uh, big criticisms of it was that it was filmed by a white woman, she was an outsider, and what, and I can kind of see the problems that that can cause, but I also feel that sometimes having an outsider helps in that the person doesn't really have this self-protection thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can go bad as if the, as the person is like very tone deaf and ends up doing something like racist or homophobic and stuff but i think people should appreciate it even as an outsider document but to me like the answer is you can always complement it with an insider uh document which is what i hope pose would be but then i saw like trailers and interviews for pose and so much of it was like i didn't like this part about paris is burning paris is burning so i thought we needed this oh right. really i didn't know that i didn't i didn't know that they did that yeah they, 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 they talked Mark was saying stuff like that yeah uh. they talked to, and she came to the show like they okay, came yeah. to they they there was an interview with um i don't know that show wesley morris and jenna has he come to the show they he did come i oh, haven't cool. spoken to him i never met him wesley but like morris but like he did a whole podcast about hoes where yeah. like he talked a little bit about that and like sort of praised that aspect of it that like oh that that like even though Harris's burning sort of had this like grittier side to it although i have well i'm not gonna get into that this moment but like that that hose was trying no no i mean i'm curious no meaning like i it's it's another tangent that like we can come back to but like he he sort of suggested and i think he had said that janet mock was like oh they wanted to make hose not be like a traumatic even if like they didn't even though Paris is burning sort of documented the truth as it was happening at, yeah. Yeah, at least as much as Jenny Livingston was able to sort of film that they didn't want it to be have the sort of sadness that is attendant to Harris's burning, burning. Yeah. which I thought was interesting because I didn't realize that initially when I started watching it and then like when I started watching it I was like something seems off yeah i mean I, about I, like because so then i was like oh this is like not harris's burnt like this is another yeah, this but, there's a whole other sort of agenda but, but, but it at feels play like here. you guys can probably tell me this better because you've actually watched it. i plan to see it i want to do a show with matume about it but for the interviews it seemed like they're injecting a little bit of presentism totally is it, in so, my so, opinion so that is true in my opinion yes totally i mean I, I i told someone i said um i'm not from the queer community but i'm from the new york community and i dislike pose the same way i dislike the get down yeah i said i feel i the feel get like down was such a bummer yeah it was such a bummer and watch I, like and I, everything about it i mean was I, like, think, I think pose is not as poorly done as the get down in my opinion mm-hmm. like like the get down was also just like was just really really bad 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 well, badly I'm, done in I'm my really opinion i'm really curious because i never wanted to see the get down it's bad it's because, really bad i didn't trust i didn't trust it but, so it's just, uh. but the only thing i liked about the get down honestly is the music the music well, i think the, the music, music they the, do really the well parts are better than than pose in my opinion yeah, yeah. Okay. but the, my, my issue with pose i think in the get down is it feels like fantasia for people who were never really a part of it and i i, I take an issue with people who are not a part of a community and i and and let's not stop making communities so broad right <laughs> We, 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 like you say, I'm a part of the queer community, but like there's a, there's a particular New York right. 80s community. Exactly. You know? It, exactly. And it's like just being queer doesn't actually make you an authority on that community. Right. And any, the people from that community you, would tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> any more than me being black and alive in the 80s makes me expert on what happened in LA with the Bloods right. and the Crips. And, like, Ryan Mur- I, and, also, and, and Ryan Murphy runs it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like Ryan Murphy runs it. And, I, and So it's still kind of an like, outsider. Exactly. Course. And I'm looking at the balls and like even from like the very depiction and, and, and this, I mean, this gets my filmmaker yeah. uh, 
side buzzing because like the balls from like Paris is burning in the 80s and I remember these 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 these, these they these, put these, like in the YMCA and, and these, the these Elf Lodge these and spots was like they was raw right. that's yeah. where you did everything yeah. you know what I'm saying spots I went to like my cousin's sweet 16 right. Right? right it would be in these same places the balls and in, and in, in pose look like you in, you inside some huge club with like oh. lights and it's it's such a fantasia of an old world and to me it doesn't really serve anything but I think also even ideas it yeah. does if you watch Paris is Burning and how a lot of those how a lot of the people from that era the different ways they see themselves as people black people queer people is not the same way aspiring that aspiring capitalist aspiring yeah. capitalist mm-hmm. there's no capitalist critique post at yeah, all yeah at all one one thing that's interesting right about when you watch paris is burning is i feel when you watch paris is burning they have more in common 80s straight hip-hop community totally of that era than they do with this modern black queer community because mm. I feel like the people of back then, similar to how hip hop back then was like these kind of kids who were poor, who were always and in under the siege by the police, yeah, under, under, by siege, the police. under yeah. siege by the police. You know, like there was a, actually more of a commonality. Like I feel like a lot of people, the same amount of Black Lives Matter people, feel like they have an authority to speak on everything black that's ever passed. But it's like, okay, you can't understand Selma because those people were freaking dirt poor. Yeah, and and, and still hunt, are. And still are. Like I read this article. Fascinating. It was. An, I think it was either like the Guardian or something like that about Selma, Alabama, like in 2017. I think. Yeah. And it talked I know about. That exact one. And it talked about how like the there were, like the crime rates are really high. People, a lot of people in prison, uh, drugs, and that like it talked about the film coming to Selma, doing their thing on the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and then piecing out. Oh, and like man. how like nobody really stayed like stayed to look at like what the actual on the ground like left behind folks predominantly black poor folks in Selma, Alabama in today like today not just like this sort of like mythic past with John Lewis and horses right, and right. all that stuff like right. what's going on in Selma, Alabama today right. who who's is who's even who's trying to get the votes of people in Selma, Alabama today and and this is the issue with is you know they're, they're using things of the past to fulfill their political, ideological um, wants of right now. The Selma movie by Ava DuVernay was exactly like that. I agree. It was more about trying to reframe Martin Luther King as the proto-Black Lives Matter than it was about actually examining Martin Luther King. And I felt like Pose kind of seemed like it was going to try to do that for the gay movement, as in the Black queer movement, as in the significance of the Paris is burning era was going to be that it was a warm up for the current crop. And I feel like you're kind of devaluing what it was in its own right, in its own moment in time. Like, you know, you're kind of taking away its context to kind of... They decontextualize it and recontextualize it for now. And and to me, it's interesting because I think if you look at a lot of history-based things, you see they do that a lot. So Pose is not an outlier in this kind of recreating of the past for, like, present needs. It's part of, to me, a trend, especially on television and movies. It's, It's part of a trend and I, I I'm very bothered I'm I, I still watch it because I I think it's a part of me that is waiting I'm fr- I'm from New York and like 
any any kind of New York outcast community is really interesting to me. Yeah. So, but I watch it, and that is, I, I'm always after every and, episode, and, kind of upset. And post takes place in the past, right? It yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. And they, in, in I 90, think for 91. The, well, I think it started in 87, and the second season they jumped to 1990. Right. Because I haven't. I only have seen the first. The season. second season, I gotta say, also they're doomed with this Madonna and Vogue thing, and I'm just really waiting to get into the fact that Madonna. Stole. Is, is stole is she a thief stole. and racist yeah all but, types of stuff but, but, but one of the problems is you know they're not going to do that because they're probably going to want to get on madonna's good side like like that's kind of the problem with a lot of totally. these people there's a kind of a climber aspect that i think kind of I, i'm not saying anyone specific is a climber but i but there's a social mobility thing in, involved involved in it yeah, and it's kind of unavoidable. But to uh, bring it back to Strange Loop, what I found interesting about it is when I hear interviews with the people behind Pose or whatever, and there's this kind of need to kind of myth-make actively as they're trying to document, right? Hmm. I felt like your play was like, you know, this is unpleasant. Well, this is quite interesting, right? What was happening with your parents? I Usher's felt, parents. Sorry, what was happening with <laughs> Usher's parents? I felt was kind of like also what was happening with black people in general and also with black queer people where the constant theme was let's just talk about it even if it's unpleasant let's talk about it things only get better if you're willing to talk about it so I felt that sense when you were talking about racial Hmm. things I felt that sense when you were talking when Usher was talking to his parents when he was like you know he was laying it all on the table with his dad and with his mom. And it's like, even if it's unpleasant for you to hear, things only get better by not sweeping things under the table. And I felt like your play was doing that for the queer, for the black queer community, where it's like, let's talk about these things, even if it's not flattering, because I'm not doing it to slander. I'm not doing it to make light of these things, but this is the only way things can uh, get better. And I felt like I got more of a sense of black queer struggles from that approach than I got from a lot of these things that seem very curated and conscious of. In the same way, a lot of black stuff is it's so obviously made for the white gays. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I feel like a lot of uh, black queer stuff is made for like both the white gays and the straight gays and what are people going to think about us? And you're thinking... I feel like your play was conscious. It's not naive. It's It knows it's on theater. It knows it's in theater. It knows white people are going to see it. But it's not... It knows it can't be directed only toward black people, by black people, because nature of theater, a lot of white people are going to be there. But it doesn't pull punches either. It doesn't throw black or queer people under the bus. But it has like a very real conversation. And that was kind of what made me wonder if you got pushback from a lot of queer people. Because if that person is not... Like, there's some kind of self-acceptance you must have gotten to be able to put that out there. And I figure someone who's not on your level in the journey might have well i guess so like i guess like yeah like i like sort of how i said earlier that i had like the story has always been about a young 20 something black gay man trying to sort of understand himself if that story was that story when i was 25 it was that story when i was 27 it was that story when i was 30 it was that story when i was 31 and like as i got older it was still that story and so once i got to the place in my own life where I wasn't struggling with a lot of those same things and could just tell the story. It wasn't risky for me to put anything out there because 
I was just telling the truth hmm. of that character's life hmm. and in his perspective and what he was going through. And like, and it also meant like once I knew that the musical was going to be produced, that I was like, yeah, white people are going to come to this theater because like that's just economically what it's going to be but black people are also going to come and you know what I want white people to come and I want black people to come I want straight black people to come I want queer black people to come I want queer white people to come I want straight white people to come I want everybody to come and listen to this person's story of their life and how they perceive themselves because through that you as an audience member can feel you can it's a test of empathy and like I don't I it gains me nothing to have this antagonistic sort of approach to white people sitting in the audience. I I need for them to actually sit down and and look at this man's story and how and what he's going through and how he's going through it. But but what I like is you were conscious of them seeing the story and whatever, but without losing sight to me of the black people in the audience. Right. Which because I think is a dangerous yeah. part. Right. Some people that's yes, just yes. shift to the white people. Yeah. And the black people almost like an afterthought. No, like I, this. I mean, here's the thing. Like people said, people say like this. Like I, I used to say when I first started working on this piece, particularly once it started moving toward, you know, knowing it was going to be produced. I in the very beginning, I said, this is for black gay men and this is for black, you know. And then I stopped saying that because I was like, you know what? I first and foremost wrote this piece for myself. I'm the audience. I wrote the thing that I wanted to see out there in the world. And so that what that means is when whoever comes to witness that like that's what they're watching and so like i'm not going to shy away like i am writing for black people in the sense that i'm writing for myself and so like everybody has to deal with that and like because there's been some black folks who have been like that's not exactly my story because i'm a todrick you know but yeah. like you know what i mean <laughs> but like but seeing that actually was like helpful to them, them yeah because yeah. it was like oh i now see that i'm a todrick now or i'm a you know what i mean and that like making those distinctions becomes important because we like to walk around and pretend like everybody is the same. Can you unpack what a Todrick is? Because I actually, had, I was actually curious about what a Todrick was. I'm gonna get in so much trouble. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. I mean, it's just this like. Is the to do it. Uh, hold on, hold on. Here's the good thing about getting in trouble here. Right. The people that you will get in trouble with are the exact people who won't listen. Right. To this right. Podcast. Right. So there's that, you know. It's like you know what is a Todrick? It's like those black gays who are always like. With with some white man and like but try to sort of you know claim this like a claim like a woke blackness but like don't can't really back it up with anything and like you know are like they're they're like constantly social climbing everything is about money and access and like they don't you know really have any, they don't really have a ton of close relationships with other black people other than black, particularly other black gay men that are like themselves. It's just, you know, and it is what it is. But I, and I just feel like you just have to own that that's what it, you're doing. But like often those people also have a lot of critics yeah. and they don't know how to like, they don't, whenever people criticize them, they're like, what happened? Why yeah. are you picking on me? Uh, you know, but because they're like, they're still trying to like figure out what you're saying is so interesting because I feel like there's so many straight people like that. Yeah, totally. But they hang out with the same queer people, the Todricks. And it's kind of weird. I feel like what's kind of happened is it's kind of become associated with almost like 
a certain black queer trait, but it's really just, to me, what I feel like is those people, whether straight or gay, those type of black people make white people comfortable. Right. So they get selected a lot. And then... They get lots of clicks on their YouTube channels. Yeah. And then people start thinking, hey, this must be what modern black people are, what modern black queer people are. Which led me to another question I had is, have you had an experience? Because I feel like there's a lot of things where, you know, hey, if I'm black, male, straight, and woke, I'm supposed to talk about X, Y, and Z things. If I'm black and queer, I'm supposed to talk about X, Y, and Z things. And, you know, you kind of hinted on that with the uh, Trinity and stuff. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is, have you had experiences, right? Because when I was watching the play, when you took the shot at intersectionality and then you said some like really real things about gay interracial dating and gay climbing and all those different things i started wondering i wonder how many people in the past and you could tell me this has happened to you have seen you heard you talk to you see you're very smart understand that you're queer and think oh he's gonna be one of those types and then start realizing okay i can't put him into this uh <laughs> you know i i, I pegged this guy uh wrong this guy is not in the cookie cutter box that i expected yeah i mean i think like that that's i've been like fighting to be to like be out of the box from from jump like I, like, I remember, like, even just, like, growing up in, like, the, you know, 80s and 90s. And, like, I remember, like, especially around the time, like, that Rodney King happened. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would always hear these, like, statistics that would be, like, by the time a black you get to be 20, 21, black man's going to be dead and in jail. We're dead or in jail. <laughs> and I just remember being, like, I was, like, how Rodney King was 93. I was 12. Yeah. I remember being, like, I'm not going to be dead and in jail. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, it wasn't... But, but then like people try to like just put that just put that on top of you yeah. and it's like what I just I never understood that so then like I always felt like I was always trying to challenge I'm like I'm black like I'm black I'm from one of the blackest cities in the country from a black family for, uh, black churches black schools and black vacation Bible school the first dicks I sucked were black like and what are you talking like I'm, and I, you're in ADOS on top of that and you use you use American descendants of slaves right in which play. can I give you a secret I got that from you Oh really? I didn't. Oh wow! Okay. I did. So you're, there's a little piece of, of oh you nice, and nice, nice. socks in there. Because yeah. I and also like from the, one of my neighbors who's upstairs who identifies very strong with ADOS. So like that was something like there was a lot of things that like I learned that I like as this piece developed. Like I was learning when constantly rewriting and editing to sort of try to keep up with not not like with a trend but like keep up with um my own understanding of where i what where I, quote unquote i was and where usher was I, you know I, I felt that because things that you were working in were very topical but not in the way that would make it dated you know right. but, yeah. but there were things where i'm like okay this guy is like reading stuff he's watching stuff but you want to interesting and i'm going to bring this up and I'm bringing this up, like, because it's the last play I saw. Mm-hmm. And with a slave play, right, what was interesting about that was I felt uh, Jeremy O'Harris was very much, in a way, doing the same thing. Because there was a lot of modern topical stuff in it. It was, it seemed like a Twitter conversation with an intersectional person and someone else, you know, where there was a lot of the jargon or whatever. But one of the problems I kind of had with it was that it seemed like these were just cool words, but I felt, I feel like when, you, when you're when you old enough and you accumulate enough experiences, when you learn things, you can be like, oh, that explains what happened to me at 
31 or I could think of this experience happening to me at 29 and that explains it and this real life reservoir experience I have I can uh, apply what I just learned and you know reverse engineering but I feel like when you're young and you haven't had that many experiences yet theory is just theory because you can't really you can't apply it it hasn't been applied to your life yet yeah, hasn't yeah. Applied. I mean I find it even, my, even myself where I'll read a book that I read when I was young that I thought was a really deep book. And then I'll, totally. re- I'll reread it now. Movies I have that a lot with. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now that I have enough lived experience to kind of understand, like, struggle and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, this movie was... I understand this movie on an emotional level better now. And I felt like that was one of the problems I had with Slave Play was you could tell this guy hasn't really lived life yet. So a lot of this theory, a lot of this stuff is just him repeating cool things he's um, heard. And I also think this seems to be a very charmed type of series of events that has happened that leaves him kind of... Like, I'm worried that he might have gotten too successful too fast. There's a... Like, I saw an interview with him and what he was saying was how he was very happy at Yale and with the people because they all told him, hey, we didn't want to get in your way. We're going to watch you. We're going to mentor you. But, you know, your voice comes first we're not going to get in your way we're going to let you do whatever i'm like it's nice to have white people who are willing to get out of your way but as a black person i think what's more important is you need a a black person to kind of set you straight like it's not enough like you know a parent can't just be a good parent by getting out of your way you need someone to kind of come in and tell you hey you're going to a bad place or you need to think about this and that and i felt like between his lack of age and his lack of black mentorship or black uh whatever it was kind of like i was worried like i feel like a lot of these white people and this early success is going to kind of steer him to a bad place and that i felt like age was one of the very good things in your piece like there was lived experience in it yeah i guess like i would respond to that um jeremy is a friend but i guess i responded that partly by saying that to the extent that age is a factor in what you're describing I would also say that like literally the like the 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 generation yeah that he or I came up in also yeah. is a factor different because yeah. like I think I'm 8 or 9 years older than him and so like my generation didn't have the same quite the same relationship to the internet yeah didn't quite have the same political context around us didn't didn't have any of the sort of like language of the i didn't know i didn't know what intersectionality was until like three years ago you know what i mean (laughs) like i I didn't have i didn't have trauma i didn't have violence i didn't have all of those things like i'd had to i very much had to learn about like you know gender non-binary versus binary like a lot of trans stuff like all of those those things like were not explicitly a part of my generation and so and also and also like if people said some like racist shit to me there was like no one i could go to to complain about it i just had to like work through it myself you know i didn't have a teacher i could go to to complain about these things yeah whereas i think his generation had those things but also they also had the awareness that like America's not going to do shit for them. Yeah. Whereas my generation thought America was going to do shit for us. Yeah. And like my generation probably has more credit card debt and student loan debt. <laughs> yeah. Their yeah, generation yes. knows how to hustle more. Yeah. And like as a result of that, maybe tends to be like um, buy into, you know, 
sort of um, identity based um, like market marketing think, and that neo, kind of thing. I'm not, and I'm neo, not saying, and I'm not saying that, that he is guilty of, I, yeah, of that specific thing, I but like, but that's something I noticed about yeah. people of his generation and that it's and like, so I'm, I'm constantly having to like, my barometer is always going back and forth on like, can I be mad about this or, or should I be like, Oh, y'all are just like yeah. trying to like do the best you can with yeah. like a shitty one thing we're gonna say situation. About him, he actually reached out to me and he said thank you for um, having a well thought out uh, critique. I actually found because at this at that point I was getting a lot of DMs mm-hmm. and I was going through my old DMs and I found one from him and he was like you know thanks for having a well thought out uh, critique. You know I'm sorry the play wasn't for you and I'm like you know that's a very mature um, that's a very mature thing. Like, yeah. like uh, I can respect him. Uh, for that and i told him like uh i wrote him back and i said look i'll be honest with you your play wasn't for me i don't agree with it but i know how this is a black person there's a lot of people writing on you and stuff and i wish you all the success in the world like i would never you know as long as you're not actively like have animosity toward black people or whatever right. which i don't get from him i think he means well you know i just think you know this is his the stage of his journey but i just think the one problem is he got such a platform at such an early like if I got a platform yeah. at his age, I would have had immortalized some things that I would really regret today, and it, it would have just been my stage in that journey, you know. Right. So I try not to hold it uh, against him. So I told him like, you know, I hope you do well, you know, and if you have moms or aunties or cousins or whatever that are you know counting on you to do well, I hope you know that. Uh, happens for you but i will say he was mature in terms of that like, yeah yeah I, I feel like a lot of people in that generation are very bad they clap back they're very they bad they wouldn't staples on you right yeah they're <laughs> like, very bad like, oh motherfucker right you, right no it's it's interesting I, I, what michael said about the generational thing and that's something i've been trying to have to think about a lot like i'll see i'll see someone say something on twitter right or uh, i'll see a comment and like my first reaction is to get hot Right, you know, fuck these motherfuckers. What, 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 yeah. what, what the hell did they just say? And then I'll do a little research and realize this person's twenty five, right, twenty six. And I, and we talk about neoliberalism. I gotta say, like that generation has a such a different relationship to the market. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do having themselves within the market. What they think the market can do for them than we than we do. Mm-hmm. We just don't. We're all about, about around the same age, and it's like I don't have that relationship. So it's not like I have to agree with what they're doing but i i try to go understand well this is how you think you think you can actually play with this i may think in 10 years you're going to be really upset and realize you were used but that's my opinion that's right that's my opinion that's my opinion but i'm going to understand where you're going if you ask me what my opinion is on what you're doing i'm going to let you know i think you're being used and you're not as powerful as you think you are Mm -hmm. but that makes i think thinking from that perspective has helped me um Approach them in a way that's yeah, not the as master's man. tools would not dismantle the master's. Exactly. Hook says, I used to get so tired of people saying the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, but that's exactly what he meant that you will not dis- uh, destroy this imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy by creating your own version of it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think a lot of people are trying to do that, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like. I'll sit back and then when, you know, I'm in my 50s or and you're a little older and you go, man, that didn't work. I'm going to be like, hey, it didn't. But hey, yeah, like that's <laughs> kind of how I feel. That's a little bit how I feel about Jesse Smollett. I, totally. I think this is what I think happened. 
This is my conspiracy theory about what Jesse Smollett happened. Okay, please I, tell me because I, I I don't even have theories. I cannot wrap my head around that at all. His Jesse Facebook posts were like classic. <laughs> and oh, somebody, really? they're and the best some, things ever. Oh, and really? somebody like unfriended me over that shit and then came crawling back to me on Instagram. <laughs> oh wow! Like a, like two months later because I think that they knew. Like once it all it all sort of came out yeah. by the end, I was like, oh. Mm. Anyway, I I just think that he probably like I think he did exactly what was accused of, but that it came from this place of like thinking I can profit off of the hate crime, which to totally. me comes from this like neoliberal sort of like victim cash in. Not that everybody does that, but that like that you can. It's a, it's almost like a sickness, like well, a well, mental well, illness. Well, that's one of the things. And so I felt pity. I actually felt like yeah. I don't think he should go to jail for that. Like yeah. I'm like, oh my brother, like you you like have bought into something that's well, like well, well, that's destructive the, in the world. That's one of the interesting things about this Tumblr intersectional whatever generation is that one thing that people don't want to kind of admit but I think it's worth admitting is sometimes in certain circles there is a certain amount of power that comes from being a victim totally a way you can incentivize it and that's where people get this competitive trauma thing about people trying to see who can out trauma each other oh Oh my god can I tell you something I'll never forget this one this is in 2008 when uh, Clinton and Hillary Jordan pioneers Gloria Steinem and Melissa Harris Perry got were on I think Democracy Now and they were arguing about, and, and uh, Harris Perry was for Obama and Steinem was for Hillary and they got to one point during their arguing back and forth about who should be the nominee where they both started uh, using the fact that they had been they had helped they had been like rape survivors or like they had helped rape survivors they're like well actually in my work as of someone helping someone oh, as a rape man. advisor. Well, in my work, helping, and I just remember seeing that known, clocking that known and being like, this is like terrifying. This yeah. is bad. That like, it's, that like, within these sort of rarefied academic, you know, uh, liberal elitist spaces that like, it can get that sort of like, uh, gross. And I say that as somebody who like, I'm a fan of Melissa Harris Perry generally, yeah. but I just remember ca- catching that known it and being like, that's, you shouldn't be like using your like, I even feel like Melissa Harris Perry now, after yeah. what happened to right. her, yeah. would look back at that yeah. and go, oh, that was not a good look, I, Melissa. Yeah, if you follow her over the years, she has little moments of self recognition where she's yeah. like, let me like fall back. Especially like after like after 2016, when she was no longer interested. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine was a writer on that show, mm-hmm. and she told me she was like, she had a realization that, oh my God, I was used. Yeah, yeah. Right. She went through a couple of years. And then she like, when they like, she like burned Twitter down yeah. after they like mm-hmm. got rid of her show. But, but mm-hmm. I, and but then I, was and then was the then Joy Reid oh, popped oh, up man. in that yeah. space. Bernie and I always started. wondered like what she felt like that because the two of them are friends. Or maybe she like didn't care or or I don't know. Oh, I know she felt some kind of way. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I I feel like with her, uh there were a couple of years where she was like, I'm buying in. And she was doing some stuff that I just was not a fan of. Uh she was doing uh hit pieces on Cornell West too I think um, well that shit was crazy because there was all so like that was the thing you could track all that shit yeah. Yeah. so like she had beef with Cornell <laughs> and um, what's his name Ratatat Tat Man who talks fast uh, oh, Dyson. 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 Dyson like and then like then Ta-Nehisi gets yeah. like dragged by, 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 by it was like by, this weird Cornell. yeah it was like this weird like academic I said they should make an AMC show about oh that God. about all these like Game of Thrones but with tenure yeah. oh, like, or, or like or, or 
what is Reality show. Like, reality show. Like, like, like Love and Academia. Oh my God, like, like yeah. real, ha- real, real academics of, of, <laughs> of, of, of power. Academics wise. <laughs> right, academics wise. Because it was just like, like hit people. Because then it, it was Tadis Smiley. Because then Melissa was like, oh, Tadis, what about when you You're was right. throwing it black really people under the bus with Countrywide? You were doing advertising for Countrywide. But what did they really was distasteful to me about it was I felt like a lot of it was white people putting batteries in their backs totally and setting all them of up. them Cornell yeah. and Melissa Harris Perry and, and Tavis definitely, and, and definitely and Dyson, Dyson. Yeah, Dyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah Dyson was and then when he wrote that, wrote that thing about, about, about Cornell, Cornell West I, and then Cornell West went after Ta-Nehisi oh, and then Richard man. Spencer jumped in and then Ta-Nehisi said let me get my ass off Twitter completely he quit Twitter <laughs> right I was like what is going on it was very weird and it was weird how many how many white people were very involved in it like, like when Cornell went after Ta-Nehisi a lot of white leftists would hate Ta-Nehisi like go get him Cornell and then Adolf uh, Reed jumped in and uh, hey uh, right. Yeah. article <laughs> right <laughs> That Adolf Reed article, I was always just like, Adolf, come on, man. He he retired from public life, and I'm kind <laughs> but of now, glad he But then he brought a play about Hamilton. No, I honestly am very sad I didn't see. I wanted to see it because I was curious about it. Yeah, well, well, I'm trying to get the text of it. What I heard, what I heard about it was the information that was very good. Yeah, but what I heard from someone who saw it was they said it was, that it's to me it sounded like he forgot to be unartistic. It was like yeah, he forgot to be entertaining. He just made it didactic. Yeah, which which sounds where Ishmael is right now. And I think as someone as a huge lover of the work of Ishmael Reed over the years but yeah. I think he had one he wanted to basically be like hey here's why Hamilton is bad right yeah. she's gonna listen to me <laughs> through actors that's what I that's what I heard like they, said, they said that the, the knowledge was good but he forgot to make it entertaining, entertaining yeah. and that's yeah. like where like I step in on stuff like that and I'm just kind of like and that's like one thing that was like important to me about the sh- about a strange loop is that like I was like I don't know when I'm gonna get an opportunity to do something like this again so I have to really say what I mean. It's art. And and mean what I say. And yeah. that like, I can't just go off on some yeah. tangent because then people are not really going to listen and the message is not going to get through, you mm-hmm. know? So, and I just think that's really important for for any artist to, to really realize it. Like, yes, you have like your little axes that you have to grind, but make sure that you like are doing it within the form that you're working in and that you know how to do it. Because, you know, because otherwise people are not going to hear you. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.